This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. <laughs> We're back after yep. our long national nightmare, known as the international break. Yeah, it's a long one. Paul Ellis. I thought he was going to have a psychic break. <laughs> you mean Alexi Lalas? Yeah, we'll get to Lalas. Yeah. We'll get to Lalas soon, David. Mm. But we've got to say, talking about psychic breaks, mm. you're looking, you're looking, you're looking tired. like you've tied, a, you've, <laughs> t- you've tied a couple on, you look like. Yeah. It's like, I always you're say like you've that been the, hanging out with Frankie the, the first Tuesday, <laughs> Frankie Hajduk, <laughs> in about 25 years' time, um, the uh, I always I always love the first Tuesday after Labor Day. It's like my Christmas because it's the beginning of the new work year, the new school year, the new work year. I get a bizarre thrill about watching my kids being miserable going back to school. It just it it oh. always excites me a little bit how miserable they are about it. However, they're so excited now because the lunch is so good at school. That's really the only thing that is really making their lives different. But let's just say the new the new work year for Davo at Embassy Row has not started off so well. We've got plenty of work. We can't complain about not having plenty of work, but I'm literally producing shows seven days a week. I'm exhausted. I was exhausted. I went home last night, and I thought, oh, that's it. It's just like, finally, going to have a drink, going to like read a bit of the Daily Mail, sports, just my guilty pleasure, and I'm going to go to sleep. I literally climb into bed at 1 o'clock, and what I hear from the next room is, ow, 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 ow. And I know what you're thinking, Rog. yes. But it was my son George. Oh, it was six years Twist old. Twist in the tail. Six years old in <laughs> agony, and it's the worst kind of agony. The second oh. I walked into the room, I said, "What Tooth is it? Ear. Tooth what is it? The worst. What is it?" And he says, "My ears." And I'm like, "Oh no, ear infection, ear infection. You know, it's an ear infection. Any parent of any young child, ear infection." And I knew then we were up all night. I quickly up went back to all you. All night. I quickly went back to you. Like God, all night. I just needed an early night. I know, all night. So I've been up all night. Didn't even ever get to the Daily Mail football section, Rog. And uh, so I'm just done. I am toast today. So I apologise in advance for my performance on this podcast, Rog. No, it's not what you want to hear. Not bringing my A game It'll probably be one of our best pods. We will see. If not of all time. Yeah. I don't know what is, but you do. You look a bit... The the, the amazing thing about you, the the harder you work... The better you look, Davo. It's an incredible. So I'm always worried when you look fantastic. Can we go into the football quickly? Because as you start looking down at your notes, I can have a little nap. Here's the football. Okay. I've been th- I've been reading a book about the Somme and what you look like <laughs> when you do your work. When September comes and Davo is the leader of a team. Yeah. The Somme was started by a general who thought it was a good idea to kick a football from the English trench towards the German machine guns. Yeah. And said to his lads. First guy to get this ball into the German trench wins a medal. And then yeah. he was the first one over the trench, got shot within seconds. Yeah. You always remind me of that ger- that general, David. Really? It's how you approach the, the working year. <laughs> yeah. Follow me. Right now, I would go over the top, Roger. I'd go over the top right now. Um, Talking about England yeah. and going over the top. Mm-hmm. I was back. You were. I was. I barely survived. You were back, back, in your, back in your home turf, back in your manor. Yeah, I was in my manner of types. I was there for my father, Judge Ivor's 80th birthday. Wow, big day. <sighs> Remarkable milestone. Yeah. For, a, for, an, for what we call in England an eccentric gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> he gathered all of his kids yeah. and his nine grandchildren around him. Yeah. We were in a farmhouse in the middle of the Lancashire countryside. Mm-hmm. Sounds 
nicer than it really was. The Bennett family seat. Yeah, the, the <laughs> little manor. pile, old your manor. manor. <laughs> yeah. And we went out for like a grand dinner yeah. to a local Italian eating establishment, the one that TripAdvisor had ranked as number 127th best Italian in the greater Preston area. Yeah. It's the kind of place that you walk in, Davo, and your expectations, let's just say, you wouldn't expect too much the second you walked into this place. I've got a life theory that in Italian restaurants, the bigger the pepper grinder, the worse the food and the service is actually going to be, and you just have to adjust accordingly. It was an enormous bloody pepper grinder just standing there when you walked in. I was like, this is not going to end well. My father didn't adjust his expectations. Yeah. We were all sat there waiting for the food. My dad, my mum, my brother, Nige, my sister, our partners, our kids. There's like two-year-olds going kicking around. There's like mm. 16-year-olds on texting away on their cell phones. My dad is slowly losing his crap because our food's not coming. And everyone around us, like all the people that have come in since us and ordered after us, like plates are coming out, the shrimp coming out, there's pizzas being delivered to their tables. You mean the Gentiles? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought the locals, but you know, the, you, you, it's all a euphemism. And I can see my dad is just becoming more and more enraged, yeah. more and more apoplectic. And he's about to go full on Sean Deitch on the referees, uh-huh. on the restaurant manager. And yeah. I just... And when he goes off, Dave, he goes off. And I just took him aside. Uh-huh. And I tried to calm him down, but it made him angrier. Uh-huh. And then I said, last effort was, Dad, I'm begging you, please don't go off. It's going to become the lasting memory that your grandchildren are going to have of your 80th birthday. Uh-huh. Did it and work? He, he just snapped his head around at me. Honestly, I thought his whole head rotated <laughs> like 360. 540 degrees. Yeah, and yeah. he just, my 80-year-old dad, and he just shouted. It was furious. And he just, his eyes bulged. And he said this, I'll never forget this. He said to me, I am who I am, and I can't change who I am, Roger. All of which begs the question, David, is it possible to change your life at our age? Before we get to that, that may be the greatest song lyric of all time that's never been written in any pop song. What's that? I am who I, I am, am, and I won't change who I am. Roger. Roger. <laughs> exactly. That's just like how that is not in a song. GFO, please, please put that to music and let's have that song. And I think we also need T-shirts. That's merch. That's a mug. That's everything. We've got a new saying. I'm sorry, the Nationals album just came out. They could have taken that. I love that. So what is it? Can we ever change? At our age, mate. If you're not Arsene Wenger, let's take Arsene Wenger out of the equation because he is clearly not going to change. Yeah. But can we change? Can you change? Yeah. I mean, look, I think at 80, the larger question is, is how much can you change at 80? (laughs) is perhaps a more relevant question. I even think at, at uh, my advanced age, I'm much older than you, Roger, at 51, I feel like I change all the time. I feel like I learn all the time. We talked the other day about learning more from your failures than your successes. I feel like failures continually happen or things that don't go quite as well as I want them to go, and I learn from those things all the time. And, yeah, I've changed over the decades. I'm a very different person than I was 10 years ago or 10 years before that or 10 years before that. God, I hope I'm evolved and smarter uh, by the time I'm 61 and 71 and a year older than uh, the hanging judge, uh, (sighs) Ivor, at 81. Ray Hodgson's age. Ray Hodgson's age. I've watched my dad at 88. My dad has mellowed and changed and, you know, grandchildren have changed the man. So, yes, we can all change. Living life to life, David. I've got to believe I've got to believe that on this one issue, my dad is not right. Change has to be possible. Mm. If there's no change, you can't grow. And if you can't grow, it's very hard to be a real partner. A lot of you 
sent me the quote that Jim Harbaugh dropped over the weekend. Someone asked him whether he gets butterflies during games, and he just turned to the journalist and he said, I'm dead inside, like burnt wood. <laughs> oh, I fear there's a lot of Jim Harbaugh in my dad, David, minus the khaki pant addiction. Did you see, though, the Jim Carrey interview on the red carpet yes. that he did that interview? So I got an email from one of my mates to, 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 to his sort of like eight best mates, and I was on it actually very gratified and uh it was it was I, saying I, I was if you haven't seen the jim carrey interview go and google it now and i hadn't seen the jim carrey because let's all be careful let's hold it all together because we might all go there one day let's hold our together our collective together because we don't want to like end up like this go where and i watched that jim carrey interview on the red carpet where you're just watching a man and he's being very articulate in some ways, and very smart in some ways, and saying what he wants to say in some ways, but he's going around in circles, and he's clearly lost touch with a lot of reality and what's really going on. Or he's participating, rather, in a sort of a Hollywood red carpet that he's been invited to and he's gone to, and he goes there, and after a very simple interview question about what are you doing here, he just goes off into sort of another realm of of consciousness. And so questions about, like, can we change, or who are we, or what are we going to be, it's a great danger at our age of just, like, overreaching and getting into nowism or some sort of fundamental religion. It's like we've got to be careful. We don't want to think things too deeply, Rog. That's the Devo answer to all of this. Let's keep it pesto. Six friends of mine. Yeah, keep it at Pesco. Yeah, Our other podcast. Yeah. Um, I love that podcast, by the way. Can I yeah. congratulate <laughs> what, you on that? Keeping it Pesco. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's on the Apple charts. Yeah, not even Jason Kennedy listens to that one. <laughs> it's amazing. It's the only one I listen to. I listen to it while I meditate in the morning. Mm. It helps me um, get ready for a bowel movement. The um, the, the, the reality is I watched that Jim Carrey video. Six of my friends sent it to me on my email chain. Yeah. Yeah, five of them imaginary. (laughs) (laughs) And I I watched it three or four times. And the first three times, I didn't understand what was controversial about it, apart from the shirt choice that Jim Carrey had made. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Oh, because what he said, it made total sense to me. It was not, there was very little that Carrey said that was controversial. But if you feel like that about about that event you've attended and how meaningless Hollywood is, the whole event is, the, the icons don't mean anything. Yeah. Why would you go to the event in the first place and then do an interview and talk about it? I think that's the larger point. I think that point. was the Andy Kaufman-esque brilliance of Jim Carrey. But at the end of the day... By the way, he is a brilliant man. I do believe that he is brilliant. And I think we will look back at him and I think we'll, we, will, we will really, really feel that when we sort of analyse his career in totality. As we always say on this podcast, David, yeah. JC is awesome. JC is awesome. Oh, talking about, at the end of the day, we're all just atoms. To yeah. MIB business, our show dropped last night. Some atoms are oh. better than others, though, Roger. After the massive epic clash oh. that thrilled America, and water coolers are still a buzz about Dave. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about West Ham against Huddersfield. There were some remarkable aspects of that game. There were like Namely, what? the atmosphere at the London Stadium. Amazing. And it didn't seem to be a lot of violence. Oh, producer Evan, our young producer, was yeah. gobsmacked. When uh, West Ham left the tunnel for the first time at the London Stadium, yeah. to find that West Ham now employ bubble machines, probably yeah. from some local bar mitzvah yeah. operator, for party promoter, to blow aforementioned bubbles out over the fans. 
And it's not just a natural fan occurrence. He was, like, he, he was talking about it as if he always thought it was like almost a natural source of the bubbles, a little stream that bubbled at the bubbling ground yeah. where bubbles emerge on. He was truly horrified and mortified to see a grown man kneeling by a bubble machine. <laughs> as Andy he thought Carroll it was a bubble by. geyser yes. or something yeah. that was naturally occurring in East London. Oh, talking about natural occurrences, we had Liverpool CEO Peter Moore, yeah. who was quite optimal. Mm. And talking about optimal, we dropped a pod this week with GFOP, Wire creator, David Simon, talking about his new HBO series, The Juice, mm-hmm. which has got producer J-Dubs, huge David Simon fan. Oh, oh, he's giving him the thickening. Please listen to that pod. What it is will... it about Oasis <laughs> and Manchester City? By the way, I did just watch that Oasis movie that's on yeah. the Amazon, uh-huh. purely so I could understand JW better. And uh-huh. I now do, having sat through two and a half hours of the Gallagher brothers punching each other. Listen to David Simon. It'll make you a better human being. We've got a pod special coming up with another hero of ours, Gary Kasparov, towards the end of the month, chess grandmaster, GK. We are not worthy. And the Men in Blazers show will next threaten the moral decency of America on Monday, September 25th. Ugh. After West Brom beat Arsenal. God. Well, we will see about that, Rog. Okay, we've got a packed show. We're going to marvel at City's systematic dismantling of Liverpool and serve up only the hottest, hot takes on the Sadio Mane red card <laughs> that tore the game asunder. Uh, the least controversial, most controversial red card of all time. It was head to foot. We break down United's 2-2 draw with Stoke and an LVG quality post-match Mourinho interview. And we celebrate an emphatic Arsenal win that featured as many goals as it did outfit changes for Arsene Wenger. Okay, Ross, to the football. Oh, I'm going to raise a Guinness, Dave. To you, to Thank your sons you. here. Thank you. Poor little blighter. It might be both of them. And to a whole new footballing world, Dave. Yeah. The Ox mm. in Liverpool red. Yeah. Danny Drinkwater in yep. the blue of Chelsea. Yeah. Renato Sanchez at Swansea playing his football in Welsh. I'm not sure that was Renato Sanchez, but we'll get to that. I'm pretty sure it was. You think wasn't. there's some Millie Vanilling yeah, going I don't, on? Was, I don't believe that was Renato Sanchez. Yeah, the more things change, yeah. the more things stay the same. Right, Alexis Sanchez, Philippe Coutinho, Diego Costa, Virgil van Dijk, I'm talking about you. But now that transfer window has creaked to close, our teams, in the words of noted soccer fan Donny Rumsfeld, mm. go to war with the army you have, not the army you might want. So I'm raising this Guinness and saying, let the Premier League battles start in earnest. <sighs> this didn't turn into much of a battle. Manchester City 5, Liverpool 0. A scoreline that matches the worst loss of Jurgen Klopp's entire career and marks the first time City has put four or more past Liverpool in 80 years, in, in a whole life of, of, of Ivor Bennett, Rog. Oh, the flashpoint came in the 37th minute birthday, with Dad. City leading 1-0 courtesy of Sergio Aguero and what looked like an honest effort to challenge for a 50-50 ball. It was an honest effort. Liverpool's Sadio Mane cleated the face of hard-charging City keeper Edison. John Moss... Wasted no time, sent off the Senegalese superhero, and City proceeded to uncork a clinical exhibition that included braces for Gabriel Jesus and substitute Leroy Sané. City stay undefeated, and in bad news for the rest of the league, do so in exacting, frightening style. Yes, such a style, David, that I have to remind ourselves... Before kickoff, City were seen as the club who lacked any kind of identifiable philosophy. Liverpool wind at their sails coming into this game. They had the true identity, that of a coiled hammer of a fist. Yeah, no less than the two Robbies 
Rog, before the game, when asked, who would you rather be going into this game? Both of them they literally both say Kyle. slammed Did the they table. Say Kyle? They, they didn't say, say Kyle. Weirdly, I'm sure that's what they're thinking. They both said, we'd rather be Liverpool going into this game. We'd rather be Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, I don't blame them. Liverpool, they're the team that beat the big six. They always get a result at City. And this 7.30 a.m. game then, Davo, it was like watching Jurgen Klopp take an early morning visit to see poor Barb in the upside down. It was a red, raw, buttock bare bottom spanking that few saw coming, few named Robbie saw coming. Because at the outset, also, it was a slow burner of a game. It was like some kind of a laboratory experiment to see which fragile defence would self-combust first. You had your injured Vincent company, Nicolas Otamendi, that great Dothraki blood rider, footballer who seems to train in reckless decision-making. City seemed to be have the edge in terms of whose defence was crapper, but then Liverpool's centre-backs oh, suddenly snuck in, stole his thunder, and KDB there at the heart of all that was good for City. Yeah, and what a ball from KDB <sighs> to set up Aguero. It's like a, uh, a straight ball to a diagonally running player with a little bit of diagonal curve at the end of it. It was just, it was perfect. It was like, it was like, a, uh, it was like somebody with really beautiful cursive handwriting, the way they can draw like a single straight line but make it just look Perfect. I bet your KDB's an amazing calligrapher. Oh, amazing. I'm sure he's got a great hand, a lovely hand. Oh, uh, it was a beautiful ball with a little bit of a on the end of it. And uh, Aguero, this is where, you know what? You know what? Sergio Aguero's not a bad Premier League striker. Rats the keeper. Puts controversial, the ball David. The, but controversial. Yet the leading goal scorer of anyone outside Europe who's ever played in the Premier League at this point. You saw Mignolet in slow motion, his big head pea brain just mm. kind of synapse. Mm. Kun Aguero, six against Liverpool at the Etihad. Big question was, how would Liverpool respond to taking a punch on the chin? They had some Sadio Mane potent half-field runs, some Jordan Hendo trademark whiffs. They had Salah wasting chances by shooting without true belief. Well, he'd had some of those he chances before. Score. He'd had chances before that goal. Liverpool had actually looked pretty good before that goal. After that goal, it seemed to immediately suck the life out of them. And they then uh, responded Rog. with some GGG-like violence of yeah. their very own. Yeah, I think it was unintentional violence. But, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the word intent, uh, Rog, when we talk about this incident. Uh, the ball downfield, Sadio Mane uh, runs uh, onto it. And you have to say that Edison very, very bravely does what very few keepers will actually do and charges out of his area. And in a 50-50 ball, or something that wasn't much more than a 50-50 ball, goes at it with his head. Many people said, oh, he really lowered his head to the ball. He didn't lower it that much. He went and full-on uh, headed that ball and put his uh, head at terrible risk of, uh, of being taken out by Mane, who wasn't really looking at him at that point. He was looking at the ball and just took him out across the side of the head. Yeah, I mean, we have not talked this one through together, but I agree with both points that you're making. Number one, this was brave, brave goalkeeping by yeah, Edison. Superb. Seemed to rush into Mane to his blind spot. And second, there's not too many Premier League goalkeepers who would make like Manuel Neuer and charge so aggressively, yeah. so quickly, out of their box to sweep a keeper, the striker, that far away from goal. Yeah. Which, by the way, in all of his pet goalkeeper madness. That's why Pep wanted the Brazilian, for his aggressive, attacking, defensive instincts. And three, this might have been unintentional by Mane, but when you actually look at the laws of the game, that's irrelevant. Serious foul play is defined as a tackle or a challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent. Any player that lunges at an opponent with excessive force, intent is actually irrelevant in terms of this 
legislation, Dave, as you, a lawyer, know from on our other pod today, jurisprudence <laughs> today, it's what is called strict liability. And there is a reason that the law is written in that way when you look at the pictures of Edison's face afterwards. It's his face is like, I mean, those are shocking pictures. Is It does endanger the player if you raise your boot that high to what, even though he might not have seen, even though there wasn't intent, he knew this was going to be close with some form of peripheral vision. Um, he knew that it was going to be some form of a 50-50 ball. And this is why that rule exists. Now, there's no doubt at all that in other games, similar things, in other games this weekend, similar instances were not called in the same way. Just because the player wasn't in the end. But we don't want to hear your what about is in America. But it is. But what I feel that with red cards and the same with penalties that you can't get too upset about is if you've seen them given and it's given, it's a penalty. It's a red card. Like, it wasn't something that you've never seen given in this situation. It wasn't something that was, like, inconceivable. And ultimately, when you see Edison's face, you understand why the rule is written in that way. There's nothing wrong with that rule. And had the referee given a yellow, because there's law and there's equity, as we both know, no one would have really been that shocked. But if you read the law and then you see the act and then you see it again in repeat slow motion, you see the photographs, then, I mean, there's there's very little case to be made for the the the, red being controversial. The one rule, the one law, the one... uh, part of the game that I'm still uncomfortable about and I'm going to say this now after it doesn't happen to a Chelsea player but after it happens to a Liverpool player (laughs) is I do think that the straight red card in a first half of a game just ruins the game and I don't see why that offence is so much worse than that offence after 88 minutes. It's just as violent it's such such as bad after 88 minutes but you lose a player and you go down after 88 it doesn't make a lot of difference. First half it just sort of kills the game and it's incredibly punitive and I just think that first half fouls, I don't know, it just there's something wrong with that law at this point, especially when in the modern game, 11 versus 10 is just such a massive, massive, massive advantage. You think there should be some other punishment inflicted on the side, like they should be forced to bring James Milner on? Well, no, I just, I feel like, you know, this, well, maybe, <laughs> probably not that, Rog, but I do feel that, uh, We're going to go down to ten and a half. I just feel that like it's a, it's got to be some minutes. It's similar to in rugby where there is a sin bin. There's a certain number of minutes you go off the field for, and that maybe then that carries over into the next game if it happens in the 88th minute. It's just a, it's just wrong headed, that it's just it's a different length of penalty depending on where situationally you are in the game. It, it, it just cha- seems wrong. It changed the game completely. So completely. Partially because how Liverpool reacted to it, a little bit like how I do when I'm playing EA Sports FIFA against my kids and I have a player sent off and I don't change my tactical formation or my style of play at all and just keep on playing like without a centre midfielder or without an attacker. Liverpool showed in this game they have no ability to lock the game down when they do go down to 10. We've joked this season that Liverpool are a one-man A team and when they lost him and went down to 10 against this City team with all their guns, just the dark side of Liverpool. We've been so high on Liverpool the first three games of the season. That dark side was so cruelly exposed. I mean, Arsenal found that Liverpool have just got the attack of a Lamborghini Aventador. But my God, that defence got the engine of a cheap tinny Ford Pinto. Mm. And the rest of the game was just watching City gleefully make that engine self-combust over and over again because the goals flow at KDB, Setting up Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, set Gabriel Jesus looking great. First goal that uh, crossed into the box uh, from Kev. And uh, Jesus nods it in, Rog. Oh, as I was watching, Dave, Liverpool down 2-0. I realised 
all of it must have been just so wonderfully familiar for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain <laughs> looking on helplessly from the bench. His last game, that 4-0 Arsenal shellacking. Now he had to come on with his team 2-0 down, 10 men, after watching his team wilt impotently in the first half of a big game. I mean, he must have felt so at home. I, part of me thinks he's cursed, David. Like, you can take the boy out of Arsenal, but you can't take the Arsenal out of the boy. He reminds me of a Jonah kind of character trying to flee from the presence of the Lord by going to Jaffa and sailing to Tarshish only to find a storm in shoes. I swear, poor Ox's next big transfer is going to be straight into the belly of a whale because the rest of the game was just garbage time. I just want to be like slightly fair to Liverpool right now because I know their fans are going insane listening to this. The Liverpool are playing away from home at Manchester City in this game and it's early in the season where they're still like in Gagan pressing mode hugely. This isn't like Chelsea coming back in the second half again at home against Burnley and pegging them back from three goals down to you know scoring a couple of goals in the second half. It's a hard task against a Manchester City side with that much offense to go and play them with ten men. It's easier said than done to oh have another plan and go and go and slow the game down. Having said that, Dave, this was really reality bites for Jurgen Klopp on this day. I mean, it was like. Being in a, a steam house, a sauna, just jumping out of that sauna into a cold plunge pool. Oh, you poor football-loving nipples. Liverpool's defence shown in this game to be so easy to slice and dice. And it begs the question, why, oh why, did Liverpool Football Club not get a centre-back in that transfer window? I, I was speaking to my Liverpool supporting mate Gifford on Friday. Mm. And I asked him that, and he was like, look, if Jurgen Klopp says we don't need a new centre-back, so be it. You know, and I said to him, you sound like a man who, if Klopp arbitrarily declared, all men are now better off with just one testicle, you just rip your ball out without a second kind of guess and just follow the order. Mm. Such I blind... the logical extension of that analogy. You're with me, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, other podcast <laughs> testicles today. Yeah. Just incredibly, by the way, on that podcast, all we talk about is Hitler's micro penis, <laughs> which a lot of you are annoyed we haven't kept talking about Hitler's tiny micro penis. <laughs> but such blind faith in Klopp is going to take Liverpool places. But some of them, just inherently, by the style of football that he plays, are going to be dark, Davo. And to go from smashing Arsenal 4-0 and then being battered 5-0, as in football, so in life, a roller coaster. I'd just say it was probably a performance that will make it much easier for Liverpool fans to forgive Philippe Coutinho. But Pep Guardiola told me last season that he welcomes an early season loss because you learn lessons in defeat that you can't learn in victory. It's going to be very interesting, very, very interesting to see what lessons that Klopp draws from all of this. Yeah, I think he was still so unhappy about the red card that I'm not sure how closely he was really observing what was going on. He seemed to, he seemed to sort of lose it. There are, there are a lot of, dare I say it, there are a lot of Arsene Wenger-Klopp parallels. There is something similar about the way that the fans worship them or in the case of Arsenal fans, did worship him. Something similar about their approach, something similar to the way they, they see the game. Klopp can sometimes like have a more... He can sometimes have a more self-deprecating sense of humour about himself and his own team's performance after a game, a more honest evaluation. But there are some similarities, and, and I actually feel that it's good news for the Ox. I think he's going to feel right at home. I want to be clear, the 5-0 to me was, was and will be just a blip for Liverpool Football Club. I think, it was a, I, I think it was just a game in which they completely binned it. You saw Klopp laughing with Ox on the half, a halfway line before he put him on for the second half. It was a blip, but how they respond is going to be truly fascinating. And for Manchester City, I mean, the one big positive 
that I saw in this game. City's third goal, fascinating. Kun Aguero one-on-one with the keeper. And he chose to dish it off to Jesus. I mean, we've talked about Jesus being the scrappy-do to Kun Aguero Scooby. But it's astonishing to see an elite striker pass up the chance to score and instead set up his strike partner for a tap-in. That was an amazing moment. To me, that was the act of a player who'd been chided by his manager, been told by Pep that he was too selfish as a team player, and then proving, taking it as a moment to prove a point to Pep and say, look, I am a team-first player after all. And their relationship, their bonding relationship, I think they've had six starts together, five goals for Scooby, five goals for Scrappy-Doo. City, with those two, on the kind of form they are, they're going to be an unstoppable force. And also, early in the season, we're only four thirty-eighths of the way into the Premier League season at this point. You know, Eden Hazard has, uh, has, has barely played. But Kev looks like the player of the league by a mile at this point. That performance was just extraordinary. You just felt you just felt that electricity every single time he touched the ball that something amazing was going to happen. He's the greatest quarterback in sport. Yeah, he's very, very good. Okay, Rog, Stoke 2, Manchester United 2. Jose Mourinho's men dropped their first points of the season. The Potters took the lead in the 43rd minute through the 28-lettered, twice-hyphenated striker Jean-Éric Maxim Choupo-Moting. Rog, Man United hit back in first-half injury time via Marcus Rashford. And again in the 57th minute through Romelu Lukaku, your mate, to take a 2-1 lead. But the Potters showed their mettle with the Cameroonian Chupamoting heading past David De Gea in the 67th minute to tie the game at two and split the spoils in a game that, like an ultimate Bloody Mary, had a little bit of everything. <laughs> game of the weekend yeah. from a competitive perspective anyway. United. Also a dancing, a, a coordinated dancing perspective as well. United go to Stoke. Yeah. Premier League equivalent of the fighting pits of Marine. And they yeah. barely emerge alive. And that was just from the handshakes. Talking about fighting, pay-per-view, David. If the two teams had said, let's not play a game of football, but let's just send up our champions, Peter Crouch, against Marouane Fellaini. Football's equivalent of the Clegane Bowl in the octagon. Who'd win that fight over the beam poles? Well, Fellaini is not the hardest player. Well, no, I, I, I guess Crouch isn't the hardest player on, on, on Stoke either. Yep. So, Dave uh, owns boxers, by uh, the way, people. But, but, but to me, that's an undercard, is when you've got Fellaini against Crouch. And but, Crouch goes down. Crouch doesn't last a, like, a round <laughs> in, that, in that. I think even Peter Crouch would, would accept that he's going to go down very, very easily. <sighs> You know, I'd much watch, rather, it's like watching Butterbean. It's boxing for the, ma- for the masses. I'd, ra- I'd much rather see Jeff Cameron, just JC is awesome, right up against <laughs> uh, Nemanja Matic. That, to <sighs> me, is like, who'd that's win, a tasty. Who'd, who'd win that? that? That's tough to call. That's a, tasty, that's a tasty match. I think it all depends, that one, to be on the intangibles. Yeah. Like, do you, do, does Cameron fight just naturally or do you take his guns away from him beforehand <laughs> no. so he's like really annoyed, really smart yeah, exactly. Take Cameron's guns away from him yeah. and I've got to say Matic does not stand a chance. Yeah. I watched but similarly, this Jeff Cameron. But similarly, if you take Matic's knife, if you take his knives away, oh, he likes the knife fight. Interesting. Oh, it's, it's, it's a good matchup. A lot, <sighs> of elbow, a lot of very sharp elbows. The king of CONCACAF against the beast from the east. Yeah, I know. It's good. It's good. We could promote that Barry fight. Hearn. That get would be good. We've got to get Barry Hearn good. back on the show. That would be too good. Back to the game. Yeah. United. Mm. <laughs> That's such a great midfield. question for Barry Hunt, is we would basically do which Premier League stars yeah. 
would could we promote and put in a ring against each other and just get a decent fight? Oh, it'd be amazing. We could. I'd love to do all the Premier League managers in that battle royale. Oh, we talked about that. Didn't we do a knife fight? We didn't did. We, do a we knife did. Fight we did. Bracket? Who'd win a knife fight between the Premier League managers? But if you had them all in, like the mm. Royale, if you had all the managers in the ring at one time, who would be the last man standing? Particularly now, Big Sam, who clearly would win any fight. Literally, the man doesn't. I mean, see it would be Mark Hughes because no price. one would know he was there. Oh, right into the end. <laughs> yeah, right until the end. It's like, whoa, Mark Hughes. Somebody would raise their arms. Antonio Conte or Sean Dyche would raise their arms at the end. And then Mark Hughes would come out of nowhere and just like, bobsh. And that would all be over. We've solved that one. Back to the game. Mm. United controlled mm. the midfield without truly menacing. Their defence leaked to Jean-Eric Maxime Choupo-Moting. Yeah. Or as he's better known in Stoke. All five names. <laughs> and they fought their way back into the lead only for Cameroonian Jason Derulo to strike again, humiliating Phil Jones, nutting home that equaliser. My God, we've got to talk about Phil did Jones. Did he humiliate Phil Jones? Or did Phil J- Jones just humiliate himself? Did he just Phil Jones himself? Or did Phil Jones just end up in his entirely natural position? No one does horizontal like Phil Jones. Like He goes horizontal in... He's almost... The only person I've seen who does it better than him is Burt Reynolds. It's amazing, and that head Shep hits Messing. the ground. Shep Messing. Yeah. <laughs> Burt <laughs> Reynolds. The head hits the ground at an angle that it, you just, you really are, you can only <sighs> go down like that he if likes, you've been poleaxed. He likes to chew the cud, Phil <laughs> Jones. <laughs> yeah, he but, got done. But he did get done, David. Here's my question about Phil Jones, PJ. Has any human being, other than Donald Trump, our president, been given more second chances? You know, like with our president... Political pundits fascinated by just keep constantly declaring this could be a turning point in his presidency, Wolf. That storyline, shortly after which he then goes and craps the bed, almost guaranteed within a day. Same thing with Phil Jones, who we love to give like 57 chances to be the future England anchor. Future, 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 future. Yeah, and then what does he do as soon as we herald that he's got his game together? He's the man we always... Time to get horizontal. <laughs> Time to be Phil Jones. Yeah. All I'm saying is repeal and replace Phil Jones, Jose Mourinho. But Stoke, God, they've been a stubborn banana skin for United. They've not won any of their five Premier League games away at the Bet365, lowercase b. b, since Sir Alex Ferguson, uppercase S for Sir, retired in 2013. But this was a draw that really felt like a loss for Manchester United, right, David? Well, yeah, sort of, but they're still top of the league, Rog. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of things, it's not a bad result, a draw away at Stoke. I think a lot of a lot of good teams for several years come out of Stoke with a draw and think, you know what, ultimately it feels quite good. Yeah, I think you can chalk this one off as a post-international break blip, but a real concern for United criminologist is going to be whenever Mourinho sees something fundamentally flawed in his team's performance, what does he do? He gets does. into a fight with the opposing manager. He does something manic to draw the media's attention away from his team's play. Both the relative rust in attack in this game, the sudden fragility at the back. Cue operation. Mark Hughes handshake snub in full effect. I mean, it's just classic Mourinho playbook, isn't it, David? But what's like amazing... Like Bill Belichick double pass wide receiver screen. I know, but what's amazing about Mourinho is he does find new ways to do everything. Yes. You know, as a television format producer, I've got to tell you, the great... You know, I was involved with the game show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And eventually you get to episode 347 of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And you realise everything that you could 
possibly ever see on this show has been done. There's there's nothing that can't happen that hasn't already happened. I mean, Regis has worn the same monochrome. There's just yeah, no monochrome there, there colors. Are no, there there are no combinations to go and do. There are no risks that you can see someone take. There are no losses. There are no eventualities. There are no surprises anymore. What's amazing about Jose Mourinho is how many handshake snubs have we seen from Jose Mourinho? But we have never seen, or I can't remember ever seeing, the full bench handshake, shake the hand of every assistant and snub the manager, prompting, for me, one of the greatest camera shots Amazing. in the history of the Premier League. Mark Hughes in the foreground, Jose Mourinho in the background, <laughs> Mark Hughes walking off camera in the he, forehand. Even shaking Charlie Adams' hand. Literally pointing out backwards with his thumb, saying something like, what a wanker. Yeah. It was just so perfect. It was an amazing. It was if, if Norman Rockwell was a Stoke Denison and had been born in Stoke, he would have painted that Mark Hughes in the forehand, just pointing back. I can't believe what he's just done to me. As Marino just, he'd even touched Charlie Adams' reptilian <laughs> little hand, his three fingers. And then secondly, as if that wasn't enough, yes. he then goes into the post-match press conference and the step and repeat. And we've seen everything happen in the post-match but we've never seen this reaction to a fairly simple question. It was like a softball of a question Why to go and answer. Why didn't you shake hands with Marquise? Very easy. It, and uh, not a question that he doesn't anticipate that he's going to get afterwards. He is so offended by... Oh, sorry. He chooses to be so offended with by the... With straight face. With straight face. By the question and by the reporter's gall to ask a question about the events that just happened on the sideline of the match that that reporter is covering for the audience, that he just refuses to continue And his, his brilliance was to leave the interview and not allow for a follow-up from the reporter. As you said to me when you saw it, Mourinho's genius, he didn't even make it seem like it was Mark Hughes's fault. No. He didn't even make it seem like it was the reporter's fault. It was the question itself. He made it seem like it was the question <laughs> itself's fault, which is a stroke of genius, series three little finger style, world-class agitating. And I will say, Jose Mourinho, because I know you listen to this pod. Yeah, I love it. If only you'd put as much deep thought into United's tactics on this day <laughs> as you had into this final snub. United would have gotten out of there with three points. But, oh, God, you made it feel like it was all about a matter of etiquette that Mark Hughes had, have, quote, sworn at you mid-game. But it's clearly more to do with the growing frustration you have that Mark Hughes hasn't been beaten in his last four Premier League games against the great Jose Mourinho. That's where handshake snubs really come from. Well, you know, look, I always say, Rog, is that within everybody's greatest weaknesses are also their greatest strengths. The other way to look at this, and having witnessed Jose Mourinho firsthand for several seasons, and then he went, and then he came back again in several seasons, is he just wants to win so badly. And losing just, or drawing, just... F's him off so much. He just can't deal with it. He just can't deal with it. He cannot deal with it in any other way than to just act like a complete and utter idiot. But ultimately, this is why he wins trophies. It's the DJ Khaled that lies within Jose Mourinho. Fear not, United fans. And yeah, we now know King Jong-un is amongst you. Mm. Not surprisingly, the North Korean dictator. Yeah. Huge United fan. Mm. It's only when I read that, thanks to the English tabloids investigative journalism this week, that I realised what a true monster the North Korean dictator is. I bet you that Chris Smalling's his favourite player. Anyway, Mourinho's team continue their cushy opening start to the season. They play lowly Everton next Sunday. Oh, well. Arsenal 3, Bournemouth nil. Rog. Arsene Wenger's men rebound 
from last round's 4-0 thumping at Liverpool by dispatching the hapless Cherries at home. A brace from that man Welbs, an impressive (laughs) Alexandre Lacazette finish and a clean sheet to boot stem the bleeding in North London. What a precious gift for Arsene Wenger. Mm. Even more than the three points, the routine win, the clean sheet, a week free of drama, Dave. Remember... Rarely has a big team entered the game with more negativity before kickoff. Poor Alexis Sanchez, old fatty, on the bench, tired from international duty, tired of life, yeah. seemingly, and a beleaguered Arsenal taking to the field as if Darren Aronofsky's mother was a football team. If ever they needed an early goal, though, Davo, and they got one. Hurricane Welbs, Category 5 on this day. Yeah, Welbs had a preseason this year, hasn't been injured for a few months. And Welb suddenly looking like the business. Always been a decent, as we often say, the best, the best Premier League striker at the back. He's a fantastic defender for a striker, <laughs> uh, but hasn't often been a very good striker going forward. Alexander Lacazette doubling the lead with a cracking finish to become only the second Arsenal player to score in his first two home games in the Premier League. Good news, that. Bad news, the other one was Marouane Schumach. <laughs> Welbs grabbed the third and then giddily tweeted post-game, using the hashtag Welbs, which producer J-Dub said is akin to a member of a band wearing their own band's T-shirt. Whatever. Hashtag Welbs away this week, Arsenal fans, because a return to the Emirates and your team, they're more potent than a post-vasectomy, Antonio Cremate. Darkness, though, for Bournemouth, David. No discernible merit or sign of life in this game. That is what is so concerning about this Bournemouth team right now who really emphasise collective endeavour and tenacity. Next Friday's clash against Brighton already has the whiff of a relegation six-pointer about it. Oh, no, Rog. Everton nil, Tottenham three. After consecutive games in which they drop points despite outplaying their opponents at home, Spurs hit the road and deliver an emphatic performance. The highlights... Harry Kane's first two goals of the season, it is September, and the 100 and 101st of his Tottenham career. Big rain. M- we should say Tottenham rain. <laughs> <laughs> Big mistake by Everton yeah. not to play Tottenham at Wembley yeah. in the month of August because mm. bloody hell, Harry Kane, few men must be happier to see the back of Seersucker than that bloke. I imagine him packing up his little Seersucker suit and just yeah. feeling, feeling the goals, Dave, feeling the force, feeling mm. the flow. He's never scored a Premier League goal in August. But my God, come September, he even scores by mistake when he wants. Yeah. <sighs> chass. It was an incredible chass. Uh, Rog, a cross, a crass. It's a crass is a very uh, specific kind of chass. A crass that is a chass that goes in. Um, <laughs> Jesper Gronkaer <laughs> used to specialise in crosses that used to go in from that part of the, uh, that part of the field for Chelsea. Um, yeah, fantastic uh, for Harry. Gets him off the mark uh, in the Premier League for his goal scoring this season. 100th and goal in his 169th game. Yeah, and just the, 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 the shoulders of the Everton's defence at that point. There's just the drooping. On the shoulders of the Everton defence, it as, was a sight to see. As well they should, David, because Tottenham Hotspur was superior, this hurts me to say, in every single department. They were quicker, stronger, faster, more intelligent, used their width to stretch Everton at will. And our team were torn apart by two, this is what hurt, derided players, Sissoko and Ben Davis, your nephew. Well, no relation. Excellent here, though, David. Mm. Tottenham, just ditch Wembley. 
play all your home games at Goodison Park. That's my advice to you, Dan Levy. Could have been 4-0, could have been 5-0. Spurs were that dominant. Everton really right now looking like the Sergio Dip of football teams. <laughs> 315 minutes of league football. Six shots on target. Yeah. We cry out for a striker. Where art thou, Dennis Strakalursi? <laughs> I will say, watching Wayne Rooney trot around with a red mist, yeah. it was humanly heartbreaking. Yeah. He's possibly the only man who had a worse international break than Bruce Arena, Dave, when he wasn't even playing. Yeah, he did have a pretty poor international break. Got into a little bit of spot of bother, yep. Rog. Uh, a, a DUI. A DUI. Driving but, a car. I think it was a... Volkswagen Beetle yeah. with someone who was not his wife in it. Yeah, it's not his wife. His, his pregnant wife. Uh, if you want to Google the story, if you're interested, uh, I think the DUI is the least of his problems. I think it's the trouble he's in with Colleen. The apparent chat-up line that he had to the girl <laughs> that he was in that Beetle with is just an instant classic. Um, uh, worth reading about if you're interested in such things. What was it? I am who I am. I can't change who I am. No, I Rog. think he was asking... He was asking about the reality of certain features on the young woman in question in fairly crude terms. And the reality is you don't need to Google yeah. anything about Wayne Rooney because Carl Martino gleefully texts me every single tabloid article <laughs> that, 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 that is brawn about Rooney. him. Here's what he is to me. Mm. He's a hard-living, hard-drinking wild man. Yeah. Always has been. Yeah. Always will. Mm. His love of football has given him a happy place on the field, which has been, I think, a sanctuary away from the turmoil yeah. of real life off it. There's so many sad parts of this week's story. The DUI, that is a dark decision that can't be minimized. But a purely footballing thought is, you look at Ronaldo's eight-pack, you look at Tom Brady, excluding foods like tomatoes and peppers for fear of bloating, you know, you look at Brady goes to sleep by 9 p.m. He doesn't drink, stays away from lifting heavy weights, focuses on his flexibility. Mm. I think Wayne Rooney does exactly the opposite yeah. of everything that Tom Brady does. Yeah. I think he's on the raging bull diet. Mm. And you can only wonder how good would Wayne Rooney have been without the ales? Although it's like you just can't. You just can't take the ales out of Wayne Rooney. It's just he's <laughs> never going to be the person. He's never going to be Wayne Rooney without ale, Rog. It just doesn't, it doesn't exist. It's like, what if he'd have had three legs? It just you, you can't have that version of Wayne Rooney. It's not going to happen. I do laugh. I heard some Everton fans the other day talking about how it's going to be good for Wayne Rooney that he's retired, that, that he doesn't have the pressure of international football now that he can rest and recuperate <laughs> straight out of the Beatles. Yeah. Love it. Kyle, so Kyle last night texted me gleefully again a mirror article uh-huh. that was headlined Pregnant Colleen Rooney urges Wayne to take time off from football to save their marriage. Mm. And I, I'll just say, Colleen, I know you listen to this podcast. Yeah, he doesn't. Don't have him take time off football. He's been taking time off football for three <laughs> years, Colleen. Have you not been watching? Please stop only thinking about yourself, no, Colleen Wayne, Rooney. Wayne needs to only be playing football. Yeah. That's it. That's the All only say. He, he can't. We've not yet. I say yeah. we can't. We haven't yet seen him drink yeah. ale yeah. while he's playing football. No. Wayne, play football. One. Yeah. Number two, Davo says, stay on the ales. Yeah. Number three, stay away from Volkswagen Beatles. That's <laughs> yeah, our right. advice. I will say, Everton fans beginning to show signs of frustration with Ronaldo Koeman. That means Rog beginning no. to show signs of frustration with Ronald Koeman. More than just Rog. Judge yeah. Ivor, too. More There's than a... just Rog? Yeah, my dad. It's another T-shirt. <laughs> Two consecutive spankings against, yeah. I'd say, admittedly strong sides. But it's not just a defeat. It's the nature of them. Meek, impotent, soulless football. Well, one was away. The one at Stamford Bridge. At home, you're right. 
Tottenham may be a little bit easier to play at Wembley right now. It's a joke, but it's funny and there's some truth to it. But Everton are a good home team. They are good at Goodison. They are tough to break down at Goodison. And that's a shocking home defeat for Everton. Great Everton statistician Matt Cheatham yeah. tweeted that no Everton players made more passes over the last three games than Jordan Pickford. 123, which is not how you want this team to be playing. And I say all the excitement which built up over the summer, most of it in my nipple region, yeah. is now burning off. This weekend, United away after Europa League action. And as I said, I've been reading a lot about the Somme. And the writer Samuel Hines once described the First World War thusly, David. Mm -hmm. Masses of men and material moving randomly through a dead, ruined world towards no identifiable objective. It's aimless violence and passive suffering without either a beginning or an end. Not a crusade, but a terrible destiny. And that's what it feels like. Everton's 2017-18 season. Can't use, can't find better words. It's not quite as bad as World War One, Rog. Close. Not quite as bad. To uh, Chelsea. Leicester won. Chelsea two. Goals from Alvaro Morata, Rog, his third of this young season. And former Leicester Electron and Golo Kante render a Jamie Vardy. Basically, it's Leicester one, Leicester two was the result <laughs> of this game. Render a Jamie Vardy penalty obsolete and give Chelsea their third win on the spin. Oh, the Danny Drinkwater Memorial Derby. Yeah. A clash between the last two Premier League champions. Another mm. victory for you, Chelsea. You are beginning to believe, right, David? I believe might be too strong a word, but I must say Chelsea are uh, surprisingly effective this season. They're playing effective football. Usually, as we know, not only Chelsea, but champions of the Premier League completely, you know, shite the bed the season after they win it. I've got used to Chelsea being very poor the season after they win it. And they're starting to look effective. They're playing effective football. You tell me you're enjoying watching them. It is not unattractive football they're playing. They're playing not... It's not the most attractive football of all time, but it is not unattractive You would football. though, wouldn't you? You would well, though. It's like, I like it when the defenders... You've got Dave and you've got Marcus Alonso and Victor Moses playing attractive football. They're getting up. They're passing the ball around. They're knocking the ball uh, out of defence. They're playing through the lines. Murata is running oh. routes all over the place. It's just, it's quite attractive football in Gallo County buzzing around. It's like quite, not, not over the top, it's quite attractive, highly efficient seven. football. It is not bad. It's a seven. You, you, would. you, you would. You would. You would. You would. Yeah. You would. Yeah. I enjoy watching Murata. A pint and a half, you would. I enjoy watching Murata. I think yeah. you got Costa, about power and dark arts. Murata, intelligent movement, spatial awareness. But I've got to say, God, I want to ask you this. Watching Kante score against Leicester, which I said on the show was the Premier League equivalent of Tyrion Lannister killing his own father. Michael must have lost a bet to let that one in. <laughs> that was like, that looked, it was the most match fixy. God, it was like, that was Casper's come get me Chelsea, please. Yes, which is what I want to ask you. What is it like essentially cheering for Leicester? I mean, Chelsea are a fearsome side in my estimation, mm. built on Leicester City's grave. Yeah. Like Liverpool are a semi-fearsome team built on yeah. Southampton. Premier League football has just become Clone Wars. So how do you understand it? You're essentially just cheering for Leicester City and, and your team will only win the Champions League if you can sign Wes Morgan and Robert Huth. You in know, the next I am, there's, there, is, there is a large part of me, there is a part of me, actually a very large part of me, that is, that is quite dim, Rog. That goldfish, Davo. No. And the fact that Leicester play in blue, and uh, frankly, a darker blue that I enjoy, it is a blue 
nevertheless, that I completely relate to. So I can completely imagine Leicester players, to me, have always somewhat been Chelsea players. I imagine this is what the Germans <laughs> said about the Czechs and the Poles. And the Austrians. <laughs> and the Austrians. But it's a, so it's sort of Leicester essentially Chelsea's Lebensraum. And so they've just taken them over. But it's a, but they do play in the same strip, essentially, so I don't feel so bad about it. A minute, too. Just to get this right, yeah. one minute you're saying, it's not really as bad as the First World yeah. War, Roger, yeah, no, are we? When no, we're talking exactly. about Everton. No, and then the next. Birmingham. And then so the next. Birmingham players, Leicester players. Yeah. Certain players, if you play in blue... Fair game. <laughs> Fair game. You're going to get taken. Talking about being taken out, yeah. I want to commend you because you have had a stealthily great transfer window. Mm. We talked about Murata. That Chelsea always do good business. Back though. of Yoko, Rudiger. I think we're all terrific. Yeah. Young too. They're going to be around for a long, long Zappa time. Zappa Costa, the cutest bald spot in football. Oh, Zappa Costa. You get you lose Diego Costa, you get Zappo Costa. Yeah. And that little bald spot, how adorable is that? Oh, more than adorable, he's bloody effective. And to yeah. me, a further symbol of the extent of Premier League riches, just like we're laughing, the Manchester City are like, oh, Silva has gone bald. Let us buy Bernardo Silva, a yeah. Silva who is haired. Conte, looking at Diego Costa sulking away, and he's like, we've got to compensate for the lack of Costas. We're going to get ourselves a Zappa <laughs> Costa. I'm, be- I'm beginning to believe Everton's huge mistake this season was not to sign or to source some kind of player like a, I don't know if he exists, but like somebody called Nigel Kuku Lukaku. <laughs> it goals with it just overfloweth. Just names. It's just a name game now, Davo. Also in a a league without defenders, look at the number of defenders that Chelsea now have. Backups to the backups to the backups. You've got defenders out on loan. You've got Kurt Zuma looking like he's actually going to learn how to play football at Stoke, which is sort of hilarious. You've when got you the two about big it. ones. Matt Miazga. Yeah. Gary. Yeah, he's my only hope back. But there's a he'll come back and <laughs> score 25 into his own net. But it's a you know Chelsea in an era where nobody's buying defenders. Kante, I think, in the Chelsea hierarchy, doing a very good job bringing in defenders and some defenders who've got got some skills. Uh, Rog hashtag skills hashtag Welbs. Swansea nil, Newcastle one. I've watched the I watched the whole of this game, which even surprised me. A 76th minute header from captain Jamal Lascelles earns the two-nit second win of the season over a Swansea side that had restocked since the international break. was one of the thrills of the weekend for me, the guilty pleasures, watching 20-year-old Euro champion Portuguese phenom mm-hmm. turn loony Renato Sanchez mm, fulfil his long-held childhood dream of playing football in Wales. Such a weird story, this one. Yeah. I mean, last June, if you don't know who he is... Yeah. How did Renato Sanchez end up at Swansea, Score. one of the hottest young players in international football. Scorer of a stunning Swansea. goal at the Euro 2016 quarterfinal, crowned the best young player in Europe. United coveted him. Chelsea tried to sign him, I think twice. And he then fell off the face of the world at the Bayern debt chart. Had a tough time there. Had a bit of an entourage, I've been told. Mm-hmm. Got into a spot of trouble uh, in Germany. Yeah. Good Beatle, news. Beetle related. It's imp- <laughs> Yes. And it's impossible to get into that kind of party party trouble in South Wales. Not the greatest first game performance. But he's going to have to adapt quickly, show his class if he's not to become the Josh Hartner of football. Yeah, he didn't look super fit. Didn't look super in you shape. I think it's him. Well, it didn't look like the Renato Sanchez that I remember uh, watching play football. Who do you think it was? Millie Vanilli? Yeah, well, it just wasn't, it just wasn't Renato Sanchez. Like, at times, there were moments where you, where you got a glimpse of it. But his, um, When he kicked the defender in the <laughs> balls from no, behind. He was just yeah, very... That's world class. 
He Dark was arts. just uh, a little bit uh, wasteful with, with possession, let's just say. Come on, Swansea. Casual. With Come on, possession. Swansea. Uh, West Ham 2, Huddersfield, Nil Rodge, Slavan Bilic clings to life at West Ham like the dusting of hair that clings to his head, thanks to Pedro Obiang's deflected 72nd minute goal. And another five minutes later, from an AU brother, uh, Rodge. Crackling atmosphere. Other AU brothers are available. Yeah, they are. Crackling atmosphere at the London Stadium. It was, and a priceless win for Bilic, who might just have saved his job, thanks to his new tactical advice for his team, which is to take the field as if you're already desperate to find an equaliser for the contractually obliged Joe Hart Howler that we're going to inevitably concede. It worked a treat. Huddersfield, who you pointed out, could have, you would say should have, yeah. gone top if yeah. they'd had a 7-0 victory. They just seemed to choke under the pressure. Yeah, I mean, it felt inevitable they were going to win this by 7 and go top, <laughs> Roger. I don't know how they let that slip. <laughs> by the way, I, I do love the public route that's still boiling over between Sporting Lisbon and West Ham over the failed transfer of William Carvalho, which led to the Portuguese side's president publicly calling West Ham's owners who made their money in pornography he called them the dildo brothers yeah <laughs> which I think would be a very good moniker for us to adopt MIB the dildo brothers we're back America double D <laughs> <laughs> yeah or maybe not Brighton and Hove Albion 3, West Bromwich Albion the dildo 1. Brothers. The Seagulls get their first ever Premier League win over fellow Celtic etymology enthusiast West Brom. Two goals from Pascal Gross and one from Israeli international Tomer oh, Hamed. Rog, big win for Brighton and Hove Albion. My favourite moment of the weekend when Tomer Hamed scored and Bridal Joy displayed finally his first Premier League goal. Rumoured he was going to get dumped into the championship. Mm. Over the transfer window, Brighton definitely need a little more mm. muscle up front. He's such a lovely bloke. Does he make your Premier League top 11 of Israeli players? Yeah. Okay. He makes my Premier League 11 of all players. <laughs> That's not D- a shot. Of Jewish persuasion. <laughs> By the way, I got my, my seven-year-old has a Tu Mohamed Brighton uh-huh. jersey, which he wears slightly puzzled on the uh, schoolyard. But Tuma grew up playing football as a kid with an Arab-Israeli, Baram Kayal and Maccabi Haifa as a team. They now both play together at Brighton, this unbelievably multicultural city with a true multicultural team. And to watch Hamed celebrate, he just bellowed when he scored that goal. He forgot where he was. It was just joy boiling over. It was like publicly witnessing within the kind of manufactured marketing of the Premier League, a man just living out his childhood dream and not caring who was watching. To more, to more is all I'll say for him and for Brighton. Uh, Southampton nil, Watford Two, Jonathan Silverman slash Ron Livingston look like Marco Silva's men. Stay undefeated thanks to goals from Abdoulaye Ducore and Daryl Yanmat. Orns currently in fourth place. Burnley, one. Crystal Palace, oh. nil. Kiwi striker Chris Wood's second goal in as many games gives Sean Dyche and Burnley's buddy Garrity, Dave Fishwick, cause to celebrate. <laughs> but the news in South London... Not so happy, Rog. Monday, after becoming the first top-flight team since Preston North End in 1924-25, two Preston references in the same podcast, to lose their opening four matches without scoring a single goal, Palace announced that they'd fired manager Frank De Boer. FDB is gone. Yes, and his managerial career will be forever measured in Anthony Scaramucci time. Mm. I think he lasted just under eight mooches. 77 days, the shortest career in the top flight in the Premier League era. Well worth the reported $6.6 million payoff that the Dutchman received. That is football. 
I don't know how to make sense of this other than to say De Boer brought in to transform a playing style without really being given the money that he needed to change the players to change that playing style feels a bit like a decision grounded in panic. Probably American owner panic, David, fearing the un-American sports concept of relegation, which is terrifying. Oh my God, it is terrifying to US-based owners. But you also got to feel watching this De Boer-Crystal Palace relationship. It's a bit like one of those marriages where both partners kind of realise it was better to quietly, quickly split before they have any kids. I think there's, a, there's an element to some relationships where people get into a relationship and they'll say anything to get into that relationship. And I think that right now you're seeing... Or to get into that Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, you're seeing the camps on both, <laughs> although how on earth with that chat-up line he got her into the Beetle, I'll never know. But the, I think there's a lot now of both camps like getting their story out and trying to, trying to figure out what happened. I don't think this had a lot to do with playing style, the problems that happened. I think it had to do with just simple relationship with the players at the training ground and, and pre-game, just the relationships weren't existing there. And uh, I think that Frank de Bird, you know, wasn't actually brought in to completely change the playing style at Crystal Palace. I think Crystal Palace learned a couple of seasons ago that they are who they are and they can't completely change. They do have some very, very dynamic young players on that team. Wilfred Zaha is a, just look at his, his record of take-ons, and he's been injured, and they've had some very, very bad luck at the beginning of the season. But I think the switch to three at the back, the, the uh, without necessarily the personnel to go and do it, I think several of the tactical decisions were puzzling, but I think really this was to do with relationships. Oh, enter former England manager Roy Hodgson, Uncle Roy, back into the fray. Somewhat atavastic choice, I'd say. 70 years old, local South London, a Croydon boy. Yes. The man last seen leading the English national team into doom battle against Iceland at the Euros. Bit of Premier League recycling, David. Like, it's a bit like watching the IFC channel give that dude who played Kramer from Seinfeld a new series. Yeah, having said that, a not unsuccessful Premier League manager at Fulham, and I believe West Bromwich Albion. Not Anywhere apart Anfield, from elite, Anfield. Yeah, maybe struggles, at the, but they've already gone to Anfield. Doesn't like the North. Yeah, they've already gone to Anfield and lost 1-0, Rog, so they don't <laughs> have to go back there again. You know, a guy who players do like... Uh, not sure whether they're going to get he's going to get the performance out of them, but he knows the players, he knows the squad, he knows uh, he knows who they've got down there. Players like Roy Hodgson, a bit like when you're walking through Central Park and you 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 meet a nice old man mm. on a park bench who's got like little bread for the birds, and yeah. you end up chatting to him. You don't want to insult him, you don't really want to chat to him, but you know he'll tell you a story. Story he tells everybody that walks past, <laughs> and you just kind of indulge him. And he's nice. It's old Roy. It's old Roy on the park bench feeding the birds with his yeah. cat. Well, for us, it's fantastic news, Rog, or should I say, Wodge? We've got like here. We've got Roy coming into Crystal Palace. Is going to be just uh, endless Good fun and, and narrative. He'll face City, United, Chelsea in three of Palace's next four games. Games, of course, here being euphemism for thrashings. Yeah. And I feel for Rebecca. He could last three games. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. The person I feel for is Becky Leg. Feel for my mate Steve. Parrish, and she has to watch her team just stumble into the darkness and then instantly pull it together. Because when Everton lose, I am literally my shirt sleeves are ripped off. I am covered in Guinness. I am bruised, I am battered, I am on the floor, I am absolutely listening to Tracy Chapman's debut album. Bex has to instantly pull it together, just pop onto air, peppy poppy, second the game ends, just with a solemn, professional and flappable dignity, and I just admire it greatly. From a human perspective, 
She, yeah. It's like she's got no feelings. <laughs> uh, or she's used to it. She's a football fan and she she's supported it. Palace through thick and thin. And we've it. seen these things. You know, our, I've got to say, even as a Chelsea fan, I've witnessed relegation. I've witnessed like playing in the lower divisions. It's like we've, we've seen lonely days we've all that you been would never through end. it. We've all been through you've it. We've seen lonely times when you could not find a friend. I am who I am. But you always knew Sesk with Roger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Roger, this week's winner in the Men in Blazers Tugger Fantasy League is proof that heart can be greater than the head. And that when in doubt, start players against Everton. Traitor. GFOP blockhead started 8 of 11 Spurs <laughs> on his way to 219 points. And a first place finish. A patch is on the way, blockhead. If you've not yet signed up for our Toggle League, all the info is at meninblazers.com. Okay, Rog, the return of the Premier League provided some much needed relief after a brutal international break for the US men's national team. After a 2-0 loss to Costa Rica at Red Bull Arena, Bruce's boys needed a Bobby Wood goal. Thank God for Bobby Wood Statues in the dying should be embers against Honduras to, to salvage a 1-1 draw and keep their Russian destiny, their unique territory's destiny, in their own hands. <laughs> God, I watched that Costa Rica loss at 2 a.m. in England. It was even worse at 2 a.m., let me tell you. All I could think of was how in this nation of 330 million people, David, where everything feels possible, do we produce so few quality defenders? And GFOP, Ian Meyer wrote it differently. He said, all in caps, he said, we created the Big Mac, the Corvette, Beyonce, the DVR, and Starbucks. How can we not build two centre-backs? We do have centre-backs, Rog. One of the puzzling decisions here in the second game, and look, congratulations to the team. They pulled out the draw, and I think that point, I don't think the point is enough, but taking away those two points from Honduras huge, may be enough. Huge, huge, huge. 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 But, huge. but huge. Jeff Cameron being dropped... For that second game, after what was admittedly a not great performance against Costa Rica, but I haven't seen Jeff Cameron perform twice in a row badly for the US team. He's travelled a long way. It's the beginning of the season. Bruce, you, you put him in the team. You take his guns away. Yeah, I wanted to, exactly. And tell him he's fighting Batted. Yeah. It's a. I, I felt that some of the selection here, some of the change, the the sort of massive overhaul of the team to Honduras was a. Was was a dangerous, dangerous game. Anyway, they got a point. A point Huge. on the road in Concacaf in the hex is never bad. Huge goal, oh, Bobby Wood. We mm. love you. How much do we let you? A great American ballad should be written about that man. Statues should be constructed to him across the country. An enormous goal. I mean, instinctual chest control, clinical finish, while screaming, "There's only one God, and His name is death." There's only one thing we say to death: not today. I'm going to replay that goal at every single forthcoming family national holiday, Davis, starting with bloody Thanksgiving, because it was a huge goal. I mean, it, it, we were possibly not going to qualify as the clock was ticking down for 2018 World Cup. And to be clear, failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup would set this American game and the domestic league back for decades. And the big conclusion to me is, Daddy may have clay feet. Could be that CONCACAF has evolved and grown tactically since Bruce Arena 1.0. It's not about MLS this, by the way, because I've got to say, MLS strikers who play for other teams are very able to score against the United States of America. But hard questions need to be asked. And they were by a ginger king, Alexi Lalas. It's dark days, indeed, said Alexi. But this is a time for leaders to step up. And so, to the supposed leaders, I will say this. Tim Howard, 
Tim, the Belgium game ended three years ago. We need you to save the ball now. Jeff Cameron, clean it up or let's get someone who will. With the guns. Clint Dempsey, yeah, you're a national team legend. Yeah. Now we need you to be a national team leader. Michael Bradley, yeah. the US does not need you to be zen. The US needs you to play better. Josie Altador, is this really as good as it gets? Because it's still not good enough. Did he go through the entire team, Alexi? Did he go through everybody? Ian Dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want some of yeah. this? It's called a knuckle putty. Sunil. No, he never <laughs> no, went he didn't, go there. didn't go there. What do you think about what Alexi said? Um, I must say, I think there is this... Uh, I'm really not being... I'm, I'm really doing my best to not only not come across as patronising, but to truly not be patronising at this point, because I think the US is so far ahead of England, I can't even start to express it, except in, like, uh, under-23 football, which England have suddenly got quite good at. But in the national team, I think this national team has the potential to be still very good. I still believe in where this national team can go. But I think it's progress. I think it's been a slightly weird few years in American media circles around this team. And I've said it before on the podcast. I find the American media so up the arse of this team. Sorry, I don't know a more elegant way to say this. Of this team and the players. And very, very critical. It was all Jürgen's fault. It was all US soccer's fault. It's all somebody else's fault. And we heard some of the same excuses going on this time. They, at one point, Bruce Arena said it was the US immigration policy which had spurred on the opponents. I mean, that was a new excuse, a remarkable excuse. You know, proceed. We need CONCACAF to be hard because we need CONCACAF to prepare this US team to go into the World Cup and have pressure. That's not a bad thing. But I actually like the fact that Alexi led not only him but many in the US media to really be more critical of this team and these players. Not about the selection, not about just you know the manager, not about like external factors, but actually questioning where this team and where these players and, and what's really going on in US soccer, I think that is just a positive. That is the role of the media. I'm not saying it's to the extent of the British media to both kill, 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 just take apart and then massively build up before a massive tournament only to just like kill, 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 kill them again. But some, some journalistic objectivity about who this team are rather than just the... And actually, I think Alexi, he's very patriotic. He's very jingoistic. And I think what was quite clever about this is he did it in a very jingoistic, patriotic way. But I think he held the team to task. I actually love it. When I first heard it, I was like, oh, what's Alexi doing? But as I actually analysed it, as very often with things that Alexi does, I was like, you know what? I actually applaud that. That's how I feel about his, uh, his debut album, Ginger. It's a bit avant-garde, but they gave it some hard lessons, and mm -hmm. it's won me over. I feel slightly de different here. I, I would I'd separate the style in which Alexi said these words, which to me was a bit too American Claude from Arsenal fan TV style, and what he said, which I agree with you, because to be candid, as depressing as it was to watch the US struggle on the field right now, what upset me more from a long-term perspective, was just how few American sports fans were making any noise about it at all. And in other countries, there would be absolute vilification across the board, the media, the fans, in the stands, in the newspapers. And here in the United States, what upset me was outside of our beautiful U.S. soccer bubble, it felt like a tree falling in an empty forest. You know, when U.S. soccer's hot, see World Cup 2014, everybody wants on the bandwagon. But when we're struggling... America just doesn't seem to care too much. It's the difference between fidget spinners last spring and fidget spinners right now. 
And the US men's national team is still a sporting fad, not a habit or a passion in wider culture. And I think it does take criticism like Alexi's to really start America talking about them and caring about this team. I will say one of my non-soccer watching, sports loving American friends, he told me the best thing the national team can do to get the country talking about them is to refuse to sing the national anthem at the next game. Oh my God. By the way, it could be worse. American fans, we could be Argentina or Chile fans. And as much as we like to mythologize CONCACAF as like the stealth hardest region to qualify, like this Star Wars cantina, I say comma bowl, oh, hold my beer. And the good news is we can go back to pretending now that we're playing like this to avoid having to go to a Russia World Cup on moral grounds, which Mm -hmm. I think is actually what we should be talking about. Two more important things, MLS. An emphatic win for Atlanta in their very first game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium Sunday. That's my kind of stadium, Rog, as they saw <laughs> off FC Dallas 3-0. At time of recording, Atlanta currently in that final playoff spot in the East. Football with a southern accent. It sounds good, Rog. It was amazing, mate. Sorry, that was not my southern accent, just in case anybody think that was a... It sounds good, Rog. That's my, that's my, that's my southern accent. <laughs> I think number one was better. Oh, yeah, probably was closer. God, it was amazing. Watching Atlanta United playing, packed to the gills, Delirious, 45,300 and plus. Ah, It's the new frontier, a huge feather in the cap for MLS. I will say it's impossible to watch a game at the awfully named new stadium and not want to jump. It could be a good name if they want to sponsor it. Fantastic stadium. It is. Yeah. Great name. Mercedes Benz. (laughs) Yeah. I prefer the Toyota Sienna Stadium. (laughs) But. uh, I just wanted to jump clean through the television screen and experience the atmosphere in person, David. Mm. If only to see you walking around with your southern accent, just engaging the masses. Mm. Charming. Your weekend looks like this, Rog. An early season clash of the undefeateds as Watford hosts Manchester City 10 a.m. Eastern time Saturday. Then Sunday at 8.30 a.m. It's Chelsea versus Arsenal. That game is scheduled to be on CNBC. Score prediction. It's worth that much money. Score prediction? (laughs) 1-1. It's followed at 11 a.m. by mm. Wazza's return to Old Trafford. Man United versus Everton on NBC SN. Yeah. Immediately after that game, you can Score flip over. United you can have a sad nap. Then you can flip over to ESPN for some early afternoon MLS action, Rog. The New oh, York Red Bulls host Philadelphia Union at 1 p.m. on ESPN. There are many ways to connect Can we us. just say welcome yeah. back to the Champions League? Yeah. And not just for the theme yeah, song. going on now. Which always gives me a semi... Mm. I said, the match Spurs against Dortmund. Yeah. It's less a football game. It's more like fan fiction or a spin-off yeah. series. Uh-huh. It's like as if Agent Pena from Narcos and Deron from Fowder team up to go on adventures. Roll on Wednesday afternoon. There are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon Frightens Big or Small, just click off the Emporium page. Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you putting in the Emporium this week? Rogelio. A book. Oh. A book. Is it about a the book. song? No, it's about oh. something really amazing. Dr. Socrates, not mm. that the song isn't amazing, by Andrew Downey, a beautiful biography of one of my favourite ever players, the elegant attacking Brazilian midfielder, curly of hair and beard, who captained the Brazilian 1982 team, one of the greatest sides to fail to lift the World Cup trophy off the field. He cut an even more remarkable figure. He was a philosopher, an intellectual, a playwright, who used football as a political symbol of democracy when Brazil was under military rule. He was a maverick in his personal life. He was a medical doctor 
who ultimately died an alcoholic living life by the credo. This could be you, David. I smoke, I drink, I think. In a time before Nike and other mega brands kind of stepped into, you know, airbrush football. And that's what makes this a fascinating book to read ahead of this World Cup year. A volume about one of professional sports, true romantic rebels. I don't want to get sued, Rog. But my advice, if there's anything broken around your house, anything making a noise... Anything. Anything squeaking, anything just like pff, not working in optimal fashion. Anything saying, ow, ow, Yeah, ow. Not, not a human, not a pet, but if it's a, if it's furniture, if it's a piece of machinery, certainly if it's door hardware. Yeah, Rog, where you going Door hardware, if it's door hardware, not working the right way. <sighs> WD-40. It just works on everything. I I don't know what they put in WD forty, but it's do you know have you ever seen WD forty, yeah, Rod? WD forty Tabasco sauce. It's just <laughs> I wouldn't put it on your food. It's WD forty just works so well. I've had a problem, Rog. I bought myself uh Tell an us old about car. your problem. Bought Michael. myself an old car. Weirdly What car do you buy yourself? Weirdly, and, and this doesn't in any way have anything to do Is it a Toyota with... Sienna? No, it has nothing to do with my comments <laughs> about the aforementioned Atlanta Stadium. But I bought myself, it's not really a classic, I'd say a vintage slash quite old Mercedes-Benz. It's 1985, it's not really old enough to be classic, but it's like a really good car. I used to have a, a 560 SL, which is that, you know, that little nice little two-door sports car. Mercedes made. They made a lower powered version of it called the 380. Stop making an 89. So I've th- got the 1985. You thought, you thought what, what's my life missing at the moment? And you went to, I think maybe I'll buy a death trap. No, I needed just a little runner, a little beach car to run around yeah. uh, in the Hamptons. It's nice. It comes with a hard top and a yeah. soft top. You my take de- the hard top my off. Death trap's rusty. Go and do it. But it's had this problem. The door opens and it just has, makes an incredible creak, and the creak was getting worse and worse. How bad? And I took give, it, us a, give us a I sense. Took it, give us a sense. I took it to the car doctor, took it to the car warehouse. Can you, can you I took make it, the noise? Took it to the Mercedes. It's like, it's like really it's like severe. A Roy, and it, like a Roy Hodgson press conference. And it, it's, 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 like a, it's like a Sergio Dip sideline report, Rog. It just is like in broken. <laughs> it's, it's broken. It's like buffering yes. as you're trying to you open the door. You thought it was broken, the door. but... And... Uh, you know, nobody could figure out how to fix it. I go, I call my dad, because Trev always understands this. He says, just buy some WD-40. I go to the hardware store. I buy WD-40. Yep. Three squirts. Smooth as anything. It's just so good. WD-40. Try it on everything. Don't sue me when it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's a bargain. Multi-use product spray with a big blast nozzle. That's the one I recommend. 18 ounces. Comes in a pack of one. That's only $9.84. Men in Blazers is not going to get rich off your consumption of WD-40, even if bought through the Amazon Emporium. It's not like the Breville sandwich maker. This is not like the like the Vitamix. Uh, it's, not, it's not a big ticket item. But I think we are performing a service out there, and WD-40 can solve many of your problems. Oh. Maybe not Wazza's problems, but it, many of your I'm regular problems. I'm going to use it on, the, on my down balloons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be interesting. We'll see what effect that has. <laughs> there are many other ways to connect to us, but I can't remember any of them now. Visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. Follow us on Twitter at meninblazers, at embassy davies, at roger bennett, on Instagram at meninblazers, at embassy underscore davies, on Facebook meninblazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex Matumbo? 
Tuitions. Balds win. Balds win. Take that, Gloria. Balds lose. To see a sucker. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fighting America. Not you, Sadio Mane. <laughs> Love you, Roger. Love you, Davo. Hashtag Welbs. Sapper Costa scored. <laughs>